0: This evening I'd like to speak about being in the ocean of life. In meditation it's kind of interesting to notice how what often happens for us is that there's some sense of doing it that goes on for us. Some sense in the way that we are doing meditation or even more remarkably, in some ways, we are doing the breathing. But sometimes, for, and for not uncommonly for people, in observing the breath, there's a sense of starting to want to affect it or to change it, to make it deeper or more smooth, or in some way, it's sort of hard for us, it seems, to just let it breathe. Almost as though we don't quite accept or don't quite believe that the breathing does it by itself. But this movement, this experience of breathing that sustains our life doesn't require us to make it happen. We are kind of surplus to requirements in that particular experience. It just happens by itself. And if we actually look at our body, if we observe it, if we experience it and reflect upon it, perhaps we can see that it's not just our breathing. There's a process whereby, for instance, when we put food in our body, and we have to pick it up and put it in our mouth and chew it, but at that point, what we put in our body, somehow, quite by itself, gets digested. And it's not like we're sitting there deciding, I think I'll digest the rice now. Or, you know, I need to work on those beans. They need extra hard digester. You put it in your body, and your body works out. That's a bean. We need some of these chemicals or... Enzymes and make some spinach or whatever else. It's like digestion just happens, and then all that nutrient that is released through that process is just picked up by the body and moved around until the various cells and organs make use of it. Or, I mean, the the process of 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 new life taking shape that there's a certain amount of human agency involved in arriving at the point of conception. You know, it requires a certain amount of cooperation and a little bit of organisation and all of that. But once that moment happens, the body just takes its own life, its own movement, this, this incredible thing that a single cell can grow into a human being with all the different attachments that come with a human being. That the body maintains its temperature within a range of just three or four degrees centigrade five or six Fahrenheit and if it moves much above or below that range it starts to get seriously unwell that has this incredibly complex mechanism for measuring, for testing for adjusting and compensating when the world around us changes it as it does, gets hotter and colder and all of that, adjusting just the temperature, let alone a number of other different crucial factors. And all of this just goes on. And it just goes on so well that we don't even notice it. We perhaps pay attention when it's not going on quite as well as we would like. And then we you know, we feel a little bit too hot or a little bit too cold. But for the most part our body is performing this ongoing miracle of sustaining itself that this very life that is our body is expressing life, is living out its existence and we're sort of sitting here parked up somewhere in the top quarter looking down on it thinking I'm doing it and sometimes we're thinking we're doing quite well at it and sometimes we feel a bit less enthusiastic about our performance But is there another way we could look at it? Is there another way to understand it that might be more deeply, more truly in accord with what is actually revealed to us? You know, so often we feel we need to hold it together. We need to hold ourselves up. That we feel like the weight of our life. And yet, what is it to allow that to just rest on the earth when sitting or standing or lying? To just notice how it is that the earth doesn't just suddenly sort of disappear from under our feet or our cushion. We don't just sort of sink in. It's like we don't look around the room and watch these heads slowly disappearing down, wondering when our turn will be. We haven't built this hall on quicksand. And yet, that simple physical reality that the earth holds us up Earth supports us and not just that Um, it's not just that we don't disappear into it but even more Um, there's this image or in fact it's a meditation really but since um, we can't do it right now we'll just take it as an image of what it would be just to lie and you can imagine this perhaps on a clear starry night to lie on your back on the ground and you know we're lying there on the ground what we tend to do to start with is think that we're looking up at the sky but actually in that moment to just imagine that we are suspended over this vast empty space and you know where I come from in New Zealand this is the bottom of the earth we're not sitting on it we're hanging under the bottom of it right now (laughs) and if you sit there if you lie back and just imagine this vast empty space and we just take for granted the fact that we don't fall off You know, we can chuckle about it. It's kind of funny. It seems rather ridiculous. But we do take for granted that somehow the Earth holds us. Now, gravity is what they tell us, the scientists, but they don't have an idea what that is or how it comes to be. All they know is that we don't fall off. And so they made up a word to say, we don't fall off, just a bit quicker. It's called gravity. And yet, what if it wasn't there? the moment we went outside we'd fall off and it's like we don't quite realise how much the earth holds us how much support is given to us by our being in this life as Thich Nhat Hanh once said the Vietnamese Zen monk he once said people say it's a miracle to walk on water. I say it is a miracle to walk on the earth. To simply open to what this is to be here. And how amazing it is. You know, whether or not it's some some divine plan or some biochemical accident that gave rise to it or something that's neither of those two. There's something quite amazing about it. And yet, for all the fact that there's no way any of us could engineer this thing to happen, you know, we couldn't make another one happen just down the road in another planet with people and, you know, me appearing on it and doing my thing. We somehow have this sense that we have to take charge, be responsible, have it in control, make it happen the right way, solve all the problems. We somehow take that on as what it is to be here. And there's this story that's told in India, in India, has quite an extensive and uh, impressive railway network although it's not the fastest moving uh, transport system in the world it does move over a million people every day and that's quite something and there's a story told of a man in India going for a long, long journey and in India people tend to carry their suitcases on their heads which is actually quite a useful way to do it arriving for this long journey on the train getting on the train and standing there on the carriage while he heads off on this journey many hours with a suitcase on his head and I might look at him and think why on earth is he doing that? doesn't he realise? does he feel he has to keep it up there? if you put it down in the carriage somehow it comes with you life is a bit like that we kind of feel like we've got to hold it on our heads or carry it, the weight of it on our shoulders as if in not doing that we would somehow be left behind or life would leave us behind it's like we, we hold on to it that tightly And yet, if we might trust that we can take the weight of our life and put it down, we'll find that what we need to come with us stays with us, but that the burden of it does not have to follow us. The weight of it can be carried by the earth, or the train, we could say, in that story. We can often relate to the world as though somehow it's doing life to us in a way that we don't particularly like because it hurts. So we kind of feel like we can combat that by if we can do it and make it do it better, it won't hurt so much. And the sense of of doing our lives, doing our meditation, doing our breath—there's so much doing, There's so much struggle, and so much tension that that produces for us and yet if we look at actually the difficulties of our lives it's not life doing it to us as some kind of punishment or some kind of evidence that really we shouldn't be here and that we're a some kind of a mistake that has to be sort of taught a lesson the difficulty of life is there because life is a process of learning and the difficulty and the pain that we meet in our life is where life is telling to us, look here, pay attention. There's something you need to learn. You need to wake up to something here. Whatever level or degree that is, it's calling our attention to understanding. The difficulties of life have been called the grist for the mill, they are the raw material from which we learn. I mean, all fine to have nice ideas about well being a better person and you know, maybe enlightenment or compassion for all but what often is the, really, the thing that moves us in the end is something hurts and then we really respond then we really try and address something not always wisely and skillfully but it does ask us to pay attention and there is this way in which that the process of meeting and understanding the pain in our lives and what it asks of it is a process of perhaps softening into the hardness of our life that pain shows where at some level there's a hardness that's resisting or struggling with the way things are whether that's held physically, emotionally, psychically or however and that the very fact that there's something hard for which something else is butting up against causing pressure and pain is showing us that that hardness needs to be looked at needs to be understood that the armoring of life does not truly protect us our armoring in life does not protect us it actually imprisons us and as Khalil Gibran said pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding it's that which asks us to look, to see, to understand and that as Oscar Wilde said hearts were made to be broken not to be destroyed but for the hardness and the armoring and the disconnection and defensiveness to be broken down to be dissolved and understanding that that's what's actually happening, that's what it actually means to be alive in a meaningful way to understand that the difficulty and the challenge is the invitation to learning and growing to moving beyond our conceptions of limitation and our, our conceptions of who we are that practice, rather than seeking to shield or to shelter us from that actually brings us closer to that reality brings us closer to that experience of the places where we're uncomfortable the places where we find ourselves needing to stretch, to open, to soften and it does so not out of some perverse sense of humour of some, you know, someone who made up this meditation technique thinking this will be fun to watch people struggle with that mm-hmm. but actually out of a, out of a recognition that coming to our edges is a place of profound possibility an invitation to us to great discovery Now John Cicito who is the um, abbot of the Chithurst Forest Monastery in I think West Sussex once uh, said there is no real learning on the intellectual level There is only a kind of learning that we do when we have the humility to recognize that really the learning part is where we go to the edge of where we know and where we control. And the nobility of our life, the nobility of our purpose, the aspiration of our life says, keep going past the area where you cannot control it anymore and trust. For me this is the heart of devotion, of faith, of surrender not a surrender of responsibility but a profound recognition of what the responsibility of this being is to live in accordance with truth to honour truth and to trust the truth of our life as it is. What lies beyond me and control and the sense of self is the joy of the deathless, the joy of the boundless the mysterious vastness of life, to come to the edge of where we know and where we control and to keep going and trust, this is so much of our practice, this is so much of where we find ourselves challenged. And yet, are we willing to face up to that challenge? Are we willing to take the risk of going beyond that which we know? Going beyond the safe and familiar, in order that perhaps we might discover something deeper, more real and more true. One could imagine oneself going for a walk on a seashore, where it's quite a steep edge, where, the, where, the, where, the, where the, the shore, the bank falls away quite sharply, and one is walking along, and we fall in, and it's really deep, and we can't swim. And what we start, what happens for us is immediately this fear this, I can't swim, I don't know how to do this, I don't know if I can survive and we might struggle and splash we might swallow water and flail our arms about until we become exhausted and we give up and then we realise that we're floating in the water we were walking along the side of the Dead Sea and if you happen to be walking beside that water and fall in you won't sink you'll float on it you can't get underneath it and it's a bit like being born, isn't it? here we are, dropped into this ocean of life and much of what we do is I don't know how to swim I don't know how to do this I can't touch the bottom and we're flailing about waving our arms swallowing the salty water and we don't actually allow ourselves just to stop and see what would it be to see if we float? what would it be to be in life and to realize that we float that we don't actually think and that much of the suffering and the pain And all of the unpleasant things we're having to swallow is because we're not actually quite willing to trust that we may float. To allow ourselves to be held by life. To trust in what comes to us as our life and that there is something larger of life that we are in. That we only truly come to discover when we let go of holding on to control, holding on to a sense of trying to make it happen in a certain way. It's sometimes spoken about, or the image, the metaphor is used, sometimes like what it would be to step off a cliff, you know, one talks about stepping into the unknown, stepping off a cliff, and the moment we think about that, it's kind of like, oh I don't know, it doesn't sound good, it's a long way down. You know, there's that, that story of, um, Krishnamurti speaking with someone and talking about fear and talking about how fear is not really that helpful in life. And uh, this, this person says, but, but Krishnamurti, this great Indian teacher, um, Krishnamurti, he said, but when I lean out over the edge of a cliff, I feel terrible fear and I don't want to jump off. So fear must be useful. It must be good. Krishnamurti replies, says, that's not fear. That's wisdom. <laughs> And sometimes we think that that wisdom that says don't jump off a cliff, literally is also a wisdom that tells us or suggests to us that we should not step off the edge of what we control and what we know. But that is not wisdom any longer. This is fear. This is fear. And what do we mean when we say step into the unknown? I once was given a, a birthday card actually by the staff at Insight Meditation Society when living and working there in America and uh, I think they must have at least figured something out about me in the time I'd been there because they gave me those cards, it just uh, re- it really touched me for what it said it sort of resonated very well and what it said was on the, on the card, if I can remember rightly <coughs> Could we tell the difference between floating and falling? No, sorry. Could we tell the difference between flying and falling if there was no ground? What would be the difference between flying and falling if there was no ground? the concept, the image or the idea of stepping off into the unknown is fearful insofar as we're living in the illusion that we're standing on the known, safe and secure right now as though that's somehow the solid thing and the unknown is the big empty space over the edge of the cliff In fact, if we look at what is really happening and this is what meditation asks us to do what is really happening? What is the ground that we're standing on? What is the ground that our life is resting on? The one sense, certainly our body is resting on this earth. But if we look at our inner life, we look at what we might think of as the reliable, the familiar, the known, the solid ground of who we are, what do we find that is stable? What do we find that is reliable, that is constant and predictable? If we look closely and carefully we find very little, in fact nothing at all, of what we imagine ourselves to be is constant, is reliable, is stable. And we see equally that the world around us, only in our ideas and our beliefs does it have a predictability and a certainty to it. Only by denying the, the imminent reality of constant change can we give ourselves what turns out to be a false sense of security that we are standing on solid ground that there is actually something there that we're resting on and yet we're here we are here we're in this life and to to see that what we are and what this life is is something that we are in and are part of, but that there is no ground in it. There is nothing we are resting upon, and yet we are not falling. We are not falling. This is to start to understand what it means to be in the ocean of life. To realize the ground is not solid and never was, and yet we are already here there is no ground which we can fall to crash upon only our thought and imagination of it and what is it that that ground that we fear that you know if we step into the unknown ultimately what is it that we feel threatened by when we do that it's we feel threatened by our the loss of our existence the loss of a sense of who we are the loss of a sense of our as as Christina was saying, speaking of yesterday the loss of our physical existence And, and yet is that really the way it is? it seems that way people would tell us it's like that we'll probably even hear it I think I probably even said it like that in the talk two days ago this body is going to die yes but is that really the whole truth? it's an aspect of it but it's not all of the truth there's a story of a of a wave on the ocean travelling its journey across the untracked vastness and then as it comes into sight of land it sees ahead of it these waves that it's been its companions in the journey and it sees these waves crashing into the shore and being destroyed disappearing and it sees as it goes towards the shore it realises that's going to happen to me I'm going to hit that shore and be destroyed and of course what happens is that the wave keeps going as waves do comes to the shore crashes and disappears and yet what has happened the wave has disappeared but what is the wave but water water in a certain form certain shape in the movements of wind and current it's a wave that takes form that crashes and disappears but is the water harmed? does the crashing of the wave harm the water? would we conceive it in that way? the wave simply dissolves back into that vast body of water that is the ocean. This is the nature of our lives. To learn what it means to ver- dissolve back into the vast ocean. To no longer confuse or believe that the movement on the waves of the waves is what we truly are. That the movement of our personal life which of course is beset by hazards which is not guaranteed any duration which is certain to run up to the shore one day but to not see that as the only truth of our life is to start to understand that which Dharma teachings are pointing us to Master Eckhart, the uh, medieval German Christian mystic he once said a stone cannot fall off the earth a fish cannot drown in water we are in this condition of our life because this is the condition that we need to be in it is actually of the same nature as the nature that we are And yet we don't perceive, we don't understand and comprehend what that means. We are of the same element of life. That is why we float in it, just as we would float in the Dead Sea, just as we do not fall through the Earth. You know, I don't know if you seem to remember some randomly interesting facts from my sort of education, but one of them was in science that if you've got sort of a solid lump of the matter, you know, it's atoms are made of these little things with big things spinning around the outside a long way away, the nuclei and the, um, what is it, the, the protons are in the middle and the neutrons and the elements, electrons, that's it. Great. Um, you know, of course they now tell us it's not really like that, but anyway in the old days it was like there's this little thing in the middle and all these other things a long way away spinning around. They said if you pack that all together and you got a, ba- a bunch of that stuff packed together so it was touching the size of a strawberry, it would be denser and heavier than the Earth and it would fall straight through it? And it's true. There's actually more space in this planet, than, or enough space in this whole planet that if you packed all the space out of it, you'd get something about the size of a strawberry and it would be heavier than the Earth. Well, the same weight as the Earth, I guess, and it would fall through it. <coughs> Now, it might seem a little bizarre as a concept, but what it means is (laughs) we don't fall through the earth because we're of the same nature as it. We're of the same nature as this earth. If we weren't, either we would fall through it or it would fall through us. And that has both a physical and a non-physical application. we may not find our mind quite comprehends what that's all about that's really fine it's probably really healthy actually but to just allow it to be opened to the possibility that there is more to understand that there is more to learn about what it means to be in this world the fish cannot leave the water no matter how far it swims no matter how long it swims no matter whether it wants to the fish cannot leave the water no more can we leave the truth of our life despite our belief perhaps that we have or the feeling we might have that we somehow need to find it again all of our efforts cannot take us away from what is true. As Dogen, the 13th century uh, teacher from, I forget, I think China or Japan, he said about the practice of meditation, truth is perfect and complete in itself. It is not something newly discovered, it has always existed. It is not far away truth is nearer than near. There is no need to attain it, since not one of your steps leads away from it. Do not follow the advice of others, rather learn to listen to the voice within yourself. Your body and mind will become one, and you will realize the unity of all things. When we no longer perceive or relate to the world as something which is a threat to us, we start to find in not being in fear of the world that a quality of faith and trust in our life and in this that we call all of life starts to grow within us as we learn to let go the grip, the contraction and the identification with fear. That that quality of trust that just comes to us reveals itself in a way that we start to open. And we can notice this on retreat. We don't suddenly think I'm full of trust and now I think I'll stand in front of a bus and see what happens. You know, not that kind of sort of kind of unwind disregarding of taking care of ourselves but just a sense of trust of we can allow ourselves to be less armoured, more open and that there's a sense almost of of allowing ourselves to be touched by the world around us, by the world within us and on retreat we might notice that a a sunset or a starry night perhaps just a simple leaf or pebble speaks to us of something touches us in a way or in a place or to a degree that seems both incredibly or profoundly new and yet equally, completely familiar. That there's something, just even a a glitter of sunlight in a dewdrop that we've seen before in our life, or a flower or a small creature walking on the path. And just something in us is touched and we have a sense of something that connects which we don't necessarily know what it is or how it is but that we start to sense at a very deep level that we are part of something here that when we let it in and let it touch us we realize that that connection reveals our participation in life in a deeper way than we might have understood before to see that we are actually made of the same stuff. The elements of the body earth, water, fire, air, space. That's what you have here. Earth, solidity. Water is the cohesion effect. And if you wonder why water as an element means cohesion, if you add it to dust or flour, it becomes something cohering together. Water, take the water out of the body, it's a pile of dust. Air is the movement, the fluidity. And fire is the heat, the warmth, energy. And space is the absence of solidity. And this is what everything is made up of. Our body and everything around us is made of these things. Not to mention, of course, that whatever we take into us that makes our very body, you know, we talk about our body. And yet the very air that we breathe in is the air that someone else has just breathed out, that has come from the plants, and when we breathe out it returns to the plants and to other people. But it's actually you know, the the cells in our fingernail have been in this universe forever. The, the the elements that make up those cells, the oxygen and the hydrogen and the carbon have been in this universe since the beginning, whatever that was. And, you know, we talk about okay, but this is a kind of a unique arrangement, this one, you know, I understand that, you know, some of what I'm using here is a bit second-hand, you know, been used before. <laughs> and it has. I mean, not second-hand, you know. not just, you know, two lady owners. It's kind of... <laughs> it's gone round and round a lot of times. And yet, you know, we think this is kind of an exclusive setup here. This, this is a particular, you know, work of art, or perhaps not quite, that's come together. And it's kind of here, and all the rest of it's over there. So, you know... I might be kind of the same, it's kind of similar material, same building blocks, but this one's over here and everything else is out there. And yet, you know, what is this body? What is it? If so you actually sort of take away the, just the nice idea of a body and effectively cover it up with clothes, it's basically a long, empty tube. And around that long, empty tube are a various number of appendages designed to locate food, walk to it, to put it in the mouth, so that it can then digest it and grow your body and a few other um, sort of capacities for locating the possibility for creating some more of these things and that's kind of like at the bottom line what's going on you know, we think, you know, here am I living my life meditation, retreat, job, career, da-da-da body empty tube and what's on the inside of it? you know, which is the inside? is it the inside of our, this hole that goes in from here down to the other end? that's the inside and what's that full of? You know, we don't really think that's us. And the bit wrapped around the outside, well, if that's us, and, you know, we've got all this around us and a big hole through the middle, it's hardly like we're separate from the world, is it? It's hardly like we're separate from the world. Our lungs, you know, if you unfolded the lungs, have these acres of 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 um, space, acres of, um, you know, flat space. If you unfolded and packed out all these little growth in here and equally of our abdomen and our our digestion system which is these two basically big holes in us that define the primary function of what's happening again we can laugh about the biology of it but the biology is a reflection of the reality at all levels it's the perhaps most obvious one that we can talk about and that our modern western science has told us enough about so that we can actually see that without having to Dissect it, but for our mind and our heart and our being, we don't get that out of a biology textbook. We have to look at it for ourselves and see where is the inside. When you hear a sound, is this happening over here or in your ear? Ask yourself this. is this over here or in your ear? Can you separate those two things out in a meaningful way from the sound? Or is it just the thinking mind that does that? To be in the ocean of life is to come to understand that the waves that flow on the surface the expressions and the forms and the shapes of life are not separate from life any more than the wave is separate from the ocean that the wave rests on the ocean it expresses a certain beauty or majesty or power It may be awe-inspiring and terrifying equally as it may be sublime And amazing but it's still the surface of the ocean that shows that movement, that shows that form and to plunge beneath the surface to enter into the depths of our being is to understand that all the waves that move on the ocean are of the same water uh, of the same ocean are not at all apart from the ocean or each other and you know it's not that we're just here to quieten the waves so that we can see below the surface to see the depth, there's some of that that goes on in our practice as we quieten, as we steady, as we still but it's not just about that as the, um, the poster in India of uh, Swami Tachananda uh, Indian swami in a white robe with a long beard standing one footed on a surfboard um, on, a, on, a, on a wave saying you can't stop the waves but you can learn to surf mm-hmm. and a lot of ways, practice is learning to surf on the waves of life to not be dumped by them to not be trying to stop them either knowing that's futile and yet understanding what it is to be in harmony and to be in balance with the nature of life that is of waves without losing touch with the nature of life uh, with the nature of life which is ocean which is deep which is still it's like we experience ourselves as this individual separate and somewhat contracted and hardened individual it's like we're we're kind of like frozen ourselves out of the total thing and that, that frozenness is so much associated with our fears and our armoring, and our unwilling to be vulnerable, to be porous, to allow life in, to allow life out, but feeling that we may be somehow overwhelmed if that was the case, that we might lose who we are, and in losing who we are, lose our life. Whereas in fact, all that we lose is our separation, our separateness, and the, the hardness, the loss of fluidity that is born of frozenness just as an iceberg dissolving in the ocean is returning back to the element that it is of, that it is from returning to the vastness of life that melting down where we find the hardness, the contraction, the resistance, the separation melting that down is the process of contractedness, of defendedness of dividedness or being separated off is the process of that contraction turning to fluidity and in its fluidity becoming undifferentiated understanding it is not separate from the whole the sense of self that we experience the I the me the wanting the not wanting and all the fear and the Hope and everything else that is sort of entangled and enmeshed with this—that that is essentially a contraction born of the way we hold on to our experience, the way we conceive of experience and life as separate from us. And in starting to soften, starting to loosen that that relationship and that holding and that tightness we start to touch or we start to allow ourselves to release into the vastness, the totality of life to see that there are no boundaries in this life there isn't a place where it stops only in our mind, because our mind thinks in thoughts that are linear that have beginnings and endings and opposes one thing against another Life isn't like that. To understand there are no boundaries in life is to understand what it means to be unbound in life. To be a life that is unbound. And this is what practice is concerned with. To unbind our life. To discover the fluidity and the unbound nature of what it means to be in this existence. To realize that we're held by life is to allow ourselves not to need to hold so tightly. To trust in life as the vehicle of our unfoldment, our flowering and our dissolution to trust in that process allows us not only to let go of having to hold so tightly to ourselves but equally to open our hearts and open our arms to hold all of this world and all that is in it to make space in our heart and our life to live in a way that serves the well-being of all including ourselves including others excluding none. Understanding that looking out onto this world is to simply see that which we are in another form. And that that which we have believed ourselves to be of the stories and the images and the thoughts and the feelings in the body is not what we are. But is simply another reflection, another manifestation, another wave on the ocean of life and yet in that it has no capacity to remove us from life